Welcome to Parker Memorial's podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern-style worship and an on-time message from God's Word. This week, we continue our in-depth study into the book of Revelation by Dr. Mac Amos. Now, here's this week's message. You have your Bibles, go ahead and be turning to the Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. We're now in Revelation 21 and 22. We've been waiting to get there, amen? The old things are passed away and the new things have come. And you ought to feel good this morning and over the next few weeks as we spend January and the first Sunday of February finishing out the Revelation in this good news. I want to read the first few verses of chapter 21. This is what it says. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he shall dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them. And he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall no longer be any death, and there shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Bless God. Amen. Amen. And he who sits on the throne said, you ought to underline this, Behold, I I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of water of life without cost. He who overcomes shall inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars... Their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. I hope you leave your Bibles open as we focus on him who makes all things new. Amen. I love that particular verse when it says there in verse number five, I had you to underline it. He says, and he who sits on the throne makes this statement, behold, I am making all things new. God Almighty, the Lord Jesus Christ, is going to make all things new. And he begins this by sharing with us the things he's going to make new. Look what he says he's going to make new there in verse 1. The first thing he says he's going to do is he's going to make a new heaven, our new heavens. Now, that's not talking about the place where God dwells or God abodes. There are three heavens, remember? Three heavens. One is that atmospheric heaven that we have that we live in right now above our earth the other is the universe that we get to experience in all of those galaxies that God confounds the mind of man when he places all of those things out there and then there's the third heaven where God dwells well he doesn't have to remake the place where he dwells for that is perfect amen but he says he's going to remake everything else in the book of Isaiah it says that the heavens are unclean And even God is going to make those things new. He's going to make a new heaven. But not only is he going to make a new heaven, he's going to make, it says, a new earth. And I saw a new heaven 
And I saw a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away and there's no longer any sea. He's going to make a new heaven and he's going to make a new earth. Now, it's interesting about that and the fact that this new earth, our new heaven, he doesn't say very much about it. He is going to spend verse after verse describing what we're going to talk about next, the new Jerusalem. He spends all kind of verses describing what the new Jerusalem is going to be like, but he doesn't say very much about the new heaven or the new earth. Basically, he tells us a few things about it. I'll point those out to you. And he tells us that there'll be no sea there. We'll talk about that in a moment. One of the things that Warren Wearsby said in his commentary about the Revelation, I want to put it up on the board, is that the Revelation 21 and following is what begins in Genesis is brought to completion in the Revelation. I don't know if you can see it, but it'll be online, so you can pick it up online this week. But he basically gives a comparison of what happens in Genesis to Revelation. He says this, Heaven and earth were created in Genesis 1.1, a new heaven and a new earth created in Revelation 21.1. The sun was created in 1.6, but there's no need for the sun, it says, in 21.23. Night was established in Genesis 1.5, but there'll be no night in Revelation 22.5. The seas were created in Genesis 1.10, but there'll be no more seas in 21.1. That's Revelation. Stop there for a minute. No more seas. Isn't that an interesting statement? It doesn't say there won't be any more water. It says there'll be no more sea. And why is that? Because the, the sea was always considered that which, which was mysterious, that which was dangerous, that which separated the people. Imagine John on the Isle of Patmos. He is separated from his people by what? By the sea. And he's stating there that there's not going to be any sea. There's not going to be anything to have mystery about. There's not going to be anything to fear. There's not going to be anything to separate. There'll be no sea there in the new heaven and the new earth. The curse was announced in Genesis 3, 14 through 17, but there'll be no more curse, bless God, in Revelation 22, 3. Death enters history in chapter 3, verse 19, but there'll be no more death in Revelation 21, 4. Man was driven from the garden and from the tree of life in, in Genesis 3, 27, but he is restored to that tree of life and the paradise in twenty two fourteen. Sorrow and pain began in Revelation 3, 17. No more tears or no more pain in Revelation 21, 4. What was started and what God planned in the Genesis, but what got messed up in sin, God completes and he finishes out there when it comes to the new heaven and the new earth. He's making it new. The one who makes it new. What else does he make new? Look at, look at verse 2. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, if you'll pick up and begin in reading in verse 9 of chapter 21 and read all the way to chapter 22, verse 5, that's a total description with a few verses pulled out, a total description of what the New Jerusalem will look like. We'll be spending our time on that next week, all right? But that describes the New Jerusalem. He didn't only say he made a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. He said all this. He made a new place of worship. A new place of worship. Look what it says in verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he shall dwell among them, and they shall be his God, and God himself will be among them. 
It's a new place of worship. You know what the place of worship is going to be? It's not a place. It's just total existence with God. Now think about that. Whenever God was calling his people to worship, he built a tabernacle. And he said, I'm going to be there. Come and worship me. When he had an established place and David wanted to build him a house, he established the temple. And he said to his people, come and worship me. Whenever he is in our dispensation, we know that the Holy Spirit indwells us, but he brought forth his church, and he told us to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, for when we come together, we will worship him. There's something unique, and why do we call people? Why do we have the church? It's to call people to worship our God, to glorify our God. Now, people say, well, I don't need the church. Oh, yes, you do. Oh, yes, you do. Unless you have all the fullness of God in you and every gift that God ever gave, and you can accomplish every ministry outside the church, you need the church. The church is where the glory of God and the worship of God is focused at this time. That's not made by man. That's made by Jesus. He established his church. He built his church. And there's something unique when you come together with people who love God, who worship God, who serve God, and who come together for that purpose of glorifying and worshiping Him. But when you have a new heaven and a new earth, and He has made all things new, He is going to tabernacle with you in a way you have never experienced before. Now, that's hard for me to fathom, because in my heart and in my mind, I think about the fullness of the Holy Spirit and how that can overflow my heart. But it says that whenever the new heaven and the new earth happens, and when God comes here to dwell, that there's going to be a fullness that we have never known, we have never realized before, and we're going to be walking with God in the place of worship is wherever we are for God tabernacles with us. Going to be a new worship place at that time. Not only that, it's going to be a new existence. See if you like a little bit of this existence. There, they, he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall no longer be any death. There shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. It is going to be a place of new existence. I look forward to that. I look forward to not having to dread that phone call that comes in the middle of the night. I look forward to not having fear to creep up in my heart. I look forward to not having to say goodbye to people that we love because of death. I look forward to having no more tears flow down my cheeks. I look forward to that. It's going to be a new existence like we have never known before. For we were born into a world of sin and we were born into a world of tears and pain. And we will exist here till he makes all things new. A new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem for us to dwell in, a new worship place, a new existence. God is making all things new. The Lord Jesus Christ is going to make all these things new. Now, here's a question. What does it mean when he makes this new heaven and this new earth? What does that mean that he's going to make it new? Well, there's two basic thoughts. I'll give you both of those. One of the thoughts is that this world and this heaven and this earth, this existence, is going to be totally annihilated. In other words, it's just going to be burned up and it's going to be done away with. Let me give you the basis for that. If you turn in your Bibles to 2 Peter, you can write it down. 2 Peter chapter 3 is what Peter wrote about the end of time, verse 10. 
But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought we to be looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord? In other words, Peter says, it seems though, that the elements are going to give up, that everything's going to happen and it's going to be totally destroyed. Isaiah said in his uh, prophecy, he said this about it, and people who hold this total annihilation hold what Isaiah said. In Isaiah 65, 17, it says, Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things, things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. And people take what Peter says and what Isaiah said, and they say, well, basically what we believe is God's going to totally destroy the earth as we know it, the heavens as we know it, and he is going to birth into existence a new heaven and a new earth. If that's the way God chooses to do it, fine. Amen? (laughs) Hallelujah. Great and wonderful. I'm just looking forward to the results. I'm not really concerned about how he does it. But that's one of the ideas. It's going to be total annihilation. That's not the one that I prefer. Rather, I prefer the fact that there is going to be what we would say the regeneration. All right? The regeneration. Now, what does that mean? That means that that God is going to take this existing earth and he's going to clean it all up and he's going to make it new. And this is the place that the heaven and earth that we have now are going to be cleaned up and made new. And there's a reason why I hold to that. Let me get you to write down a few verses of Scripture that will help you. One of those verses is Matthew chapter 19, verse 28. When Jesus was talking about this particular time, this particular time of of a new heaven and new earth, this is what he said to his followers. Truly I say to you that you who have followed me, listen now, in the regeneration when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. How did Jesus describe this event? He used this word. There's going to be the regeneration. That is an important word. That's a good churchy word. That's a good theological word. But it's a great word, amen? Regeneration. And when he describes this event, he doesn't describe it as total annihilation, but rather he describes it as something that's going to be regenerated. It means to remodel, to make it new, to take away the old, to bring in that which is fresh and new. So the way Jesus himself describes this particular thing, he doesn't talk about annihilation. He talks about this making new. A second reason I believe in this aspect of remodeling or regeneration is because of the word itself. The word new itself means to restore, it means to renovate, it means to make new in character. To make new in character or make new in kind. It doesn't mean to, to destroy something and to create something, but it means to make a change within the character and the very makeup of that which he is working with. That word new means that, all right? Also, the, the word passed away doesn't mean that it is non-existent, but rather it means that it is removed from effect. In other words, it's not that it's passed away that no longer exists, but it has passed away in regard to its effect or its power or its influence. 
A third reason, though, that I believe is because how did God regenerate man? How did he regenerate you? Did you know you've been regenerated? Look to your neighbor and said, I've been regenerated. You don't look real regenerated, but you are. You were redeemed, you were bought back, and you were regenerated by the Spirit of God. He made you new. He made you new. What and how does how does the Word of God describe that which happens to us in regeneration? Probably one of the more popular verses of Scripture in the Bible is 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Remember what that verse says? That's what it says. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation or new creature, right? The former things are the, the old things have passed away, and behold, new things have come. That's the way Paul describes our salvation, isn't it? If you are in Christ, the old way of life, the old things pass away. They are no more, and God has brought new things into your life. Now, hold on a second. Don't let me lose you. Hold on. Listen. When you got saved, did you change the way you looked? I mean, did, did your body change? You were this body, and now you got a whole different body. Matter of fact, when you got saved, came to church next week, you had to introduce yourself. Because nobody knew who you were because you had a whole new body. Did that happen? No. You had the same body. Did you have a different soul? No, you had exactly the same soul. What was the difference? Is that soul had come alive because the Spirit of God came in you and made you a new creation in Christ Jesus. He began to influence you to make your warner different. That you wanted to do the right things and godly things instead of the sinful things. And God made that change in your life. Same body, you were not annihilated, but rather in Christ, he made you new. That's how he regenerated us. So here's the question. If he regenerated man that way, if he is the one who spoke to us and regenerated us that way, why wouldn't he do the same thing with his world? Because remember, whenever he created this world, he said, what about it? It was good. What he created, what he made was good, right? Man and sin messed it up. And so God is going to take it and he will make it anew. Another verse of Scripture, I think, that goes along with this has to do with what John says regarding the coming of Jesus. Remember what he, remember what he said about Jesus? He said this, he says, I baptize you with water, but there is one who is going to come who is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with, with what? With fire. In other words, this one who's coming, he's going to come with fire. And you know what that fire is going to do? It's going to burn up all that old junk in you. And he's going to fill you with the Holy Spirit, which gives you all the good stuff that you need. Now, hold on a second. Don't let me lose you. I kind of look like you're sleepy this morning. Y'all sleepy? It got spoiled coming at 10 o'clock, didn't you? 8.30. Wake up now. When you got saved, did fire burn you up? No, no, a literal fire didn't burn you up. But something burnt you up, right? Something burnt away that stuff in your life that's not supposed to be there. The Spirit of God and fire. So the picture that he's presenting there, 
regarding the regeneration of man, the picture that he's presenting there is the fact that there's a fire that's coming. Like when Peter says the fire is going to come to this earth, that same fire could be that fire that regenerates rather than destroys. One other thing I'd share with you about that has to do with Paul, and that's in 1 Corinthians 13 First uh, Corinthians three thirteen through fifteen. You can just write that down. It has to do with when Paul describes how Christians will be judged. Remember, he talks about the bema seed of Christ. How did he say to be judged? Here's what it says. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it, because it is revealed with what? With fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built upon it remains, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved yet as through fire. In other words, even the judgment of believers one day, there's this fire that's going to take and going to happen to burn up that which is wood, hay, and stubble, and dross, and is not worth it. Is it a literal fire? No, it's the fire of the Spirit of God. The fire of the Spirit of God. And I think that same fire, that same work is going to come into this world. It's going to burn up this world. And God is going to make it like he had it before. I believe that. One other thing that I believe is the reason for that is found in Exodus 32, verses 11 through 12. Just write that down. You say, well, how, what in the world has Exodus got to do with this, this fire and how God's going to regenerate? Because it has to do with a conversation between Moses and God. You remember when the children of Israel burned, or they, they made that golden calf? Remember when they made that golden calf? Go read that story. That's what's happening in that story. They made the golden calf while the pastor's up on Mount Sinai at a pastor's conference. The associate pastor, Aaron, made the golden calf. That's what happened. It is. Read it. I'm not. That's what took place. And whenever that happened, he got it, 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 God. He got angry. He broke the tablets. Remember, and God got upset. But this is the conversation that God has with Moses. He says, "Moses, this is a wicked people. They are stubborn and hard headed. I tell you what, I'll do. I'll destroy them, and I'll raise up a nation, a great nation, in you, in you." And Moses says to God, God, if you do that, if you do that, then the Egyptians are going to make fun of you. If you do that, they're going to say that you just took these people out there to destroy them in the wilderness, and you're really not that great of a God. Now, God, these people are your people, and you love these people, and I know they're hard-headed, but God, please forgive them. Please forgive them, and he intercedes on their behalf. And he says this, basically, God, what you started, finish. So that all who see and all who watch will be able to know that you're a God who can finish. And who, when you make it, you can regenerate it, you can restore it, and you can make it new. I really believe that's what happens. That's what interesting thing that when Jesus introduced himself as being the one who sits on the throne, he also says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the in, I know the way it was before. Jesus was there when it was perfect. And Jesus is going to put it back just the way it was before. 
And, 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 and really in my thoughts, my ideas, I, there will be no sea. But see, I believe when God created this world, I believe in the Pangea. I believe that all those little puzzle pieces of that globe, I believe all those were one place. I don't think there was sea that separated. I think when the, when the uh, flood came and all the catastrophic events happened and, and the plates broke and they began to float and all these things had happened, but I believe it was all intended to be one. And when God makes it anew, he's going to put it all right back together just the way he intended to be because he was there from the beginning. From the beginning. And when he puts it all back together, there'll be no sea that separates or causes one to have fear. I believe he regenerates it. But, but listen, whichever way he does it, I'm not really worried about it. Amen? I'm just looking forward to it being new. And we get to be a part of it. Well, let me, let me show you a very important part, though. Go back to the Revelation. Show you a very important part. Of this because it tells us who gets to enjoy it. Amen. Look what it says in 21. Again in verse 5. He who sits upon the throne, behold, I am making all things new. And said, write this, for this is faithful and true. He said, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Now, this is what it says. He gives three qualifications for those people who will get to experience This new heaven, new earth, new existence. Listen to what it says. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of water of life without cost. He who overcomes shall inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. An interesting thing about John is that John not only was given the privilege of writing the Revelation, the beloved disciple, but he also had a chance to write a gospel, and he also had the chance to write three epistles, right? Gospel of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and the Revelation. And it's interesting that when he comes to this part of the Revelation, that John basically is taking all of what Jesus has taught him and all that God has revealed to him, and he's putting all of that together in, a, in three simple statements about people who are redeemed. People who are redeemed and people who are going to get to experience the new heaven and the new earth from his experience with Jesus. All right? Very important. Now, this is the most important thing of all because this can affect you personally today, all right? It's going to affect you personally today. Three things, three pieces of a puzzle that he puts together here for the revelation. Here's the first thing he says. There it is. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of water of life without cost. That goes to John, the gospel of John chapter 4. The gospel of John chapter 4. You remember what happened in the gospel of John chapter 4? That's where Jesus encountered the woman at the well. You remember that? Read it when you get home. He encountered the woman at the well, and that woman had come to that, came to that well to draw out water to take back to her family. And when she came to that well, Jesus asked her, a Samaritan woman that most Jewish men would not talk to, asked that woman, hey, would you, would you give me something to drink? And she was shocked and surprised that he, a Jewish man, would even ask her, a Samaritan woman, for something to drink. But Jesus goes on and says something to her. If you knew who I am, you would ask me to give you a drink. And she said, 
How could you give me a drink? For you have nothing to draw from that deep well. How could you give me a drink? And he basically is telling her, the water that I speak of is not the water of this world. The water that I speak of is a water that comes from me, for I am the living water. And anyone who, anyone who thirsts and drinks of that living water, he will never, ever thirst again. John remembered that. John remembered that. And John remembered that a requirement, a requirement of whether or not you're going to be able to be a part of the new heaven and new earth, you have got to thirst for Christ. There's got to be a thirst for Christ, a longing for Christ. Whenever you're thirsty, that's all you can think about. Have you ever been really thirsty? You can't think about another thing, just thirst. I want it. It's a need in my life, and I want that to be quenched. And he says, that is what a person has to have. You have to have a longing for Jesus. You don't just happenstance and, and skip through and accidentally fall into Jesus, my friend. The way you have Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior is you long for him. You want him. You realize you need him. You thirst within your spirit. And whenever you thirst within your spirit, that is the requirement of how you'll be a part of God's family, that you'll be a part of this existence that he's talking about. And that's why he writes there and says, For that one, verse 6, I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of water of life without cost. Whenever you thirst for me, you will take of the water of life without cost. You ought to circle that word, those words, without cost. Without cost, without your cost, without your cost, I'm going to tell you something. The water of life is not cheap, but it's free. It's not cheap because he paid the cost. And when he paid the cost, it's been paid in full, and you get to drink of it with no cost. But it's not free. And my friend, God has to create within your heart. The Spirit of God has to move within your spirit. I can't explain how it happens. But if you hear his words, his spirit wants to create within you a thirst and a hunger, desire that I have to know this one. I need to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. I long for that. I need that. As a thirsting soul looks for water, I need Jesus. And he says right there, I will give this to the one who thirsts from the spring of water of life without cost. A second thing, though, not only is the requirement that you thirst, you got to have the right response. What is this response of this thirsting, this requirement, this desire to have the living water? you got to have the right response. Here, here's the right response. It says right here, it says, he who overcomes shall inherit these things. He who overcomes, what's he talking about? Well, just a few pages back, I think it would be helpful to you. Turn your Bibles just a few pages back to the, to the epistle of 1 John. 1 John, just a few pages back. I want you to hear what he says. These are the words of John. 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. Here's what he says. 
For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Go back to what it said in Revelation. What it said. So what? He who overcomes shall inherit these things. Go back to 1 John again. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. What? Our faith. Our faith. Listen. And who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. John says in 1 John, he writes that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, the one who overcomes is the one who has faith. The one who overcomes is the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. What is the right response when your soul is thirsting? Your right response is this, that you are longing for, you are hungering for, and by faith you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You exercise your faith and say, I believe in him. I, I trust in him. I, I want him I, as Lord and Savior of my life. The requirement is you have to thirst. The response is you have to have faith. Look what the, look what the last one is, though. Listen. It's the relationship. Look at verse 7. And I will be his God. And he will be my son, or they will be my children. There's another piece of that puzzle that's found in the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, chapter 1. It's what John is writing under the inspiration of God's Spirit about this one who is Jesus. Listen to what he says in verses 12 and 13 of chapter 1. Listen. But as many as received him, talking about Jesus... To, get to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but they were born of God. Another piece of that puzzle. Back to the revelation. The one who thirsts, the one who has faith, The one who what? Has the relationship that they are my child. They are the ones who get to partake of the new heaven and new earth. They're the ones it's all being made for. Are you one of them? Is that true of your heart, your life? Have you thirsted for Christ? Have you exercised your faith in Christ? Are you a child of the living God? If not, today is the day, my friend. Today is the day. For who would ever want to miss the privilege of getting to be a part of all things made new? But the ever evangelist that Jesus was, remember he's writing this. The ever-evangelist that Jesus was, he not only tells you what he must have, what must take place for a person to get to experience, he warns of those who will not. That's what it says. Don't miss it. Verse 8. But for the cowardly and unbelieving, abominable murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, 
Their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now, now, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Don't let me lose you, all right? Just a minute, we'll be finished, okay? Just a minute. A lot of times we'll read that and somebody go, amen, amen. Them all immoral people, they don't need to be there. Them stinking murderers, they don't need to be there. Wait a minute, did you, did you read? Did you, before you start saying amen so strong, did you read what it said? Listen, don't miss it. But for the cowardly and the unbelieving, then it gets to a list of abominable, murderers, immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. But before you ever get down to the liar, before he ever enumerates the murderer, whether he ever talks about the drug addict, which is what sorcery was, where he talks about those who commit abominations, and that's horrible. He said just as much a part of that group are those who are cowards. Listen to me. If you don't hear another thing, listen to me. It is not the Christian faith and walking with Jesus is not for the faint-hearted It takes courage, and another way to put it, it takes guts to be a follower of Jesus. And many people are going to miss heaven. They're going to miss the new heaven and the new earth. They're going to miss all the blessings God had prepared for them. Not because they're murderers, but because they're cowards. They're too afraid to stand for Jesus. They're too afraid to give their heart totally to him and to be identified with Christ. And I've heard people, oh, I've heard everything get imagined. I've heard people say, I just can't imagine. This, per- this person is a good person. They're, they're a nice person. They're a moral person. They're a good neighbor. They try to do really good things. They don't believe in Jesus, and they've never put their faith in Jesus, and they're not in any church anywhere, and they don't really do a lot of spiritual things, but they're a good person. They're a good person. There are going to be a lot of good people who are going to miss heaven and go to hell. A lot of good people, not because they were murderers, but they were too much of a coward. Too much of a coward to choose Jesus rather than the world. And it says what? For those who are cowardly and for those who are unbelieving. You got the faith. Not a person here, not a person God ever created did not have faith. We've talked about that many times. You have faith. It's just where you're going to exercise your faith. God gave you faith for, for one primary reason, that you had the instrument that was necessary whereby you could have a relationship with a living God by believing and trusting in His Son, trusting in something that's bigger and greater and transcendent beyond you. He gave you that faith for that reason, but you exercise it every day But why not trust Jesus? Isn't it sad that the one reason he gave you faith, people choose to be unbelieving. And their fate 
Their fate is just the same as the most horrendous sinner you could ever imagine. Because they didn't have the courage and they didn't exercise what God gave to them. And Jesus here, in the midst, in the midst of telling about all the wonderful things and, and everything and, and who it is he's prepared this glorious new heaven and new earth and new existence for, in the midst of all that, even then, he warns, if you still have breath, you still have opportunity. Give your heart to Jesus today. Believe in Jesus today. Did it take courage? It sure does. It's not for the faint-hearted, but it's ever more worth it. Amen? If not only today, for what he promises in the future, a new existence. Give your heart to Jesus today. That concludes this week's message from Brother Mac. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon series. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world. We can help you know the one who can bring you peace. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church, as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.